Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. I'm Tom. With me are Gabe and Josh. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about something that, that's near and dear to our hearts, but I, I want to set the scene. This last week I went to a conference in San Jose, California. Josh was really excited about that. I flew in and I got picked up right at the airport by the lift that I had called. He was right there when I came out the door. He took me right to the front door of my hotel. Now, because we were at a conference, uh, the hotel that we were staying at was a little bit nicer. And there was a person there to open the door for me right as I walked through. In fact, even before I jumped out of the car, the lift driver had popped out, opened up the trunk and got my bag for me. So now I'm walking to the door. Someone opens the door. I walk in and the person behind the front desk says, Mr. O'Neill, welcome to the Westin San Jose. And I said, how did you know it was me? I don't know what some conjuring trick this magician had, but he knew it was me. And so he, he greeted me. He quickly got me my key in under 15 seconds and I was up the door. In fact, there was someone to show me where the elevators were. When I got up to my room, the temperature was set. The pillows were laid out perfectly. Everything was to perfect standards. And on the desk was a little bag of little sweets and some snacks that had been put there by the conference organizers, which I thought was very nice. And then to top it all off, there was a, a, a four pack of Mountain Dew bottles with a little note from the conference organizer who happens to be a friend of mine and knows that at these conferences, I need copious amounts of Mountain Dew to get myself through this thing. And it was a little note that said, hey, hope you can stay awake. Looking forward to, to talking kind of thing, right? I was like, oh, how nice. A personal touch. This is hospitality at its finest. And tonight we're going to be talking about hospitality, and we're going to be telling you that if you aren't practicing hospitality, you aren't loving your neighbor. So get ready. Here we go. Okay, I have, I have one comment and one question. Okay. Comment first. Uh, since the Dan Levitard show on ESPN is one of our sponsors, uh, a, few, <laughs> a few weeks ago, they did have a fun fact that Mountain Dew could completely dissolve a mouse. I know, I heard that. So I'm really concerned for you as my friend, Tom, and member of this podcast, that drinking yeah. copious amounts of Mountain Dew, you are just literally disintegrating your innards. Yeah, I could feel that. I mean, I don't Okay, well, well, at least you know. Now, yeah. my question is, Gabe, Yeah. as a fellow clergyman, mm -hmm. does yeah, any of that ring true to you for conferences, for pastor conferences <laughs> that we have attended? No. Because uh, normally pastors' conferences are at substandard hotels where yep. not only are there not mints, but they're usually like roaches on the pillows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, although I will say, uh, well, this was weird flex, but okay. I, at some larger events that that I've been a part of, uh, for like our church body as a whole, there's oftentimes a little goodie bag for me. What? Yeah, what's in the like, goodie bag? Sweet and salty uh, like, snacks, like Tom described. iPads and, um, <laughs> and shoot, no bundles, uh, bundles of cash. No, it's normally like it's normally like a pen and a notebook with the branding of whatever the event is, and then like some chocolates. Yeah. So it's not. I mean, we're we're not writing home about it, but it's nice. And a couple certificates you know, for commodities. And I, <laughs> free hug coupon. <laughs> 
I do. I do need to say this because fi- I, I mm. found that fifty percent of people don't believe that nonprofits are spending their money correctly and complain about, you know, their donations and where they're going. First of all, my conference is we move around to different food banks all over the country, so we just didn't pick the poshest place in the United States. There's a huge food bank in San Jose because of the disparity between your billionaire 24-year-olds and everybody who serves them their their hamburgers, right? Yeah. And so number one, there's a huge food bank there and that's why we're there. Number two, because we're part of Feeding America, which is a huge national organization, they have some amazing partnerships with hotels and different corporate entities. And so when we go and stay, we get some amazingly sweet deals at hotels. And so um, it's not like we're putting up thousands of dollars to, to stay downtown at a super nice hotel. I would just like everyone to know that. I, I don't think you needed to cover your backside on that one, Tom. No. Oh, uh, you I wasn't would... thinking that, but if you Dude. want to, then that's fine. I think our good listener trusts us enough to know that we are frugal, more frugaler, more frugal. We're they just might, less fortunate than most. They might know that about us, but like you would be surprised how many people call to complain about like the smallest, smallest thing about donations. Well, I will say this. If you come to Chattanooga, Bridge City will be happy to purchase you a cup of coffee, maybe a cinnamon roll or a croissant. <laughs> croissant. Um, guys, speaking of <laughs> talking about what croissant. we're drinking tonight. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> great, uh, great segue. Great transition, man. Uh, what uh, What are you guys drinking tonight? Ooh, pick me, pick me. Josh, please yeah. tell us. Oh, thank you. I'd be happy to start us off. Uh, so I'm keeping it very, very local tonight. And there's a brand new brewery uh, opened up less than a year ago called Naked In River. Basement. In my base, I wish. Uh, let's just say to the good listener that I was strongly encouraged by my significant other, my wife, my spouse, my partner, whatever you call them these days, uh, that perhaps beer brewing was, you know, uh, part of a different stage of life and that maybe I should move on. Mm. So no, not from my basement, but from the Naked River Brewing Company here in Chattanooga. And it's a clever play on words, not bare feet black IPA, but bare beat black IPA. I didn't look up any descriptions, but it's a silky smooth black IPA, a hint of sweetness, a bit of fruitiness. So I'm assuming beets were in the recipe. Bears, beets, Battlestar Galactica. Mm, mm. If we want to get our sci-fi on, you know, that'll get Tom going. Tom, what are you drinking? Woo! I am. uh, I'm going with a very simple uh, rum and Coke. It's okay. Spiced rum or just regular dark or white rum. That is a fantastic question. White rum is the worst and should never be drank. Agreed. Fair enough. Ever. I prefer dark uh, rum. I do not like spiced rum. I will. Uh, dark rum uh, is generally for me, and I think most drinkers should be uh, used in either as a sipper or in um, in cocktails. And then spiced rum, I honestly I think is really only good in Coke, and so I. Uh, we're going with Kirkland Spiced Rum because it's 15 bucks for uh, a huge old bottle, and it is actually pretty tasty. Nice. Cheers. And you guys can't see, but Tom's already halfway through that huge old bottle. <laughs> it's well, true. Two-thirds, maybe. <laughs> uh, so as Josh was sharing that, uh, his wonderful wife told him to not take part in a hobby that uh, he's no longer age-appropriate for, or life stage-appropriate for is perhaps the better thing. Um, I've reinvigorated a uh, a love of mine and that's why my throat sounds like death tonight uh in uh and i've joined a hardcore band which interestingly enough 
for vocals for hardcore Tom, I have to drink Mountain Dew. It like stirs up the phlegm inside of me. <laughs> Wait, and, what? No way. Yeah, that's like what I do to Seriously? like get my throat real growly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's it may be my throat dissolving from the Mountain Dew. I don't know, but awesome. anyway. So to soothe my my tender vocal cords, I am uh, I'm actually drinking a, a really cool beer called Guitar Face. Uh, and it's uh, it's from Magic Hat Brewing Company. In, Ooh, Magic uh, Hat is good. Uh, Magic Hat, real good, real good. And so it's it's just a lager by them, but uh, really good. I got a variety pack of theirs, and uh, I'd not really had them before. And it's it's all been slam dunks. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. Uh, well, now that we've made it through what we're drinking, uh, we want to just uh, celebrate, man. We've we've had uh, some great interaction with you, the good listener. Uh, a variety of texts and a lot of activity on Facebook. So I just want to give some shout outs. Uh, first of all, to our friend, uh, Michelle Perrin. She uh, wrote just a really uh, kind uh, thought to us. Endearing, to us. really. It was. Um, and uh, so thank you, Michelle. We we appreciate uh, your your um, encouragement as we we press on in this. Also, our boy Aaron Tilt. Uh, thanks for listening, man. And uh, he has got a hookup for us in the Antiochian Orthodox Church. A friend who's a priest. We had mentioned in a previous episode uh, that uh, we wanted to talk to a, a member of Eastern Orthodox clergy. And so he may be able to hook us up. So, Aaron, shoot us a text. Uh, what's that number for the text, Josh? 612-208-6258. And for all of you who actually text us on that number, you'll be receiving replies because Google has threatened to close down our phone number. <laughs> um, and then it's uh, so weird because we get a lot of texts in. I guess they like they apparently they only count texts out or phone calls out. So you never know. I might stalk you and use 612-208-6258 to call you at random points during your workday. Josh, you should you should just start calling people, see who picks up. This would be great. Texas, really Texas, your phone number, and I'll call you. I guess <laughs> on our phone number. Josh, you, things will get people. weird. It'll be awesome. If you don't want to do that, you can also send us messages on Facebook. We received a, a few of those recently too. So thanks for reaching out to us. That way, we want to address those. Uh, and our first one, I think you know him. Uh, at least uh, one people. of the yes, one of the few people I've actually brought to the. Well, I couldn't even say that I brought him to the podcast, but he is a friend of my brother-in-law, Ray Sean, Ricky Fagan. Awesome. And Ricky wrote into us and it was, uh, he was commenting on Josh and I's discussion about, uh, this missionary who a couple months ago was killed trying to reach out to a group of, of, of people on an Island in Southeast Asia. And I was saying, this guy's a martyr. And Josh was saying, this guy's an idiot. And, um, uh, Ricky responded and said, uh, not sure I'd call him a martyr as much as a brave brother who took, whom took Jesus call incredibly personally. Uh, and so I think that's a, a helpful distinction, at least from my end, but I don't know if you two have any thoughts on that. You know, just one thing that came to mind, Ricky, as uh, I debriefed that lively discussion with Gabe, and that is taking Jesus' word seriously also means taking his uh, initial command to his disciples when he sent them out two by two seriously, uh, in which he said that if you enter a town and they welcome you, then you can say peace be upon them. But if they reject you, then you dust off the you know, your sandals and basically leave. And I wonder if sometimes we um, ignore that second half of the command where, so, you know what, if we're not necessarily wanted or if the message is initially rejected, perhaps we should just, you know, clap the dust off our sandals and uh, walk away. And, and so I just, I, I believe I know the right answer to this, but I just want to clarify it with you. 
you know that what you referenced there, Josh, is in the in the beginning chapters of Matthew, or is it? Am I right on that one? It's pre-crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. Yes. Okay, but then you have Jesus' literal last words to us before he ascends: "Is go and make disciples of all nations." But that's not. We don't read that chronologically. I'm like, yeah, what I said earlier. I'm just kidding. Literally, just go to everybody. It's a, it's a, it's correct, an correct. Thing, right? and, I, and I think it takes some tact and some uh, awareness, self awareness. I would say, you know, and that's not to to preclude uh, or to exclude. I'm sorry, um, the Sentinel Island people forever. However, it just if you get arrow shot at you the first time, maybe you should take a break. Come back later. Check back next week. Right. All right. Great thoughts, gents. Our final one uh, comes from our friend Jonathan Jacobs. Uh, Thanks for your support, brother. And uh, he just asked when we were coming to Boise, Idaho, hopefully soon. And then he also encouraged us to stop by Austin, Texas, which I would love to do, of course. And that's just a reminder to you all. If uh, you'd love us to do a live show in your living room, let us know where you live. Uh, We've got can uh, someone three, remind three so me though when we when we promised we'd take this thing on the road because as currently we we don't even have budget to produce this show much less <laughs> drive across the country and visit you our friends and faithful listeners i i don't remember when we did but we definitely did talk about it i think if it's hyper local we could do it i mean the, this what was it belvedere illinois or Somewhere Erica, you know, we're coming one of these days. We are coming to we stay can with actually you maybe make that happen. It, it's a possibility, but I don't know about Austin. There's just much keep Austin weird. That scares but me for sure. Boise. That's not a problem. Right next door. Easy <laughs> to get to. Um, <laughs> Easiest city to fly into. A lot of people will go there at any rate. Uh, well, we would, you know, honestly, if enough stuff piles up, we'll figure out a way. Um, Tom's got a ton of money. Nonprofit people, they put all their money in overhead, just paying their staff, not actually helping people. They have countless and, uh, windowless creeper vans yep, used to deliver yep. goods to people around yep. the city. So yes, we'll we let do. him fund our, our tour. Um, with that, we want to get into our topic tonight. We are talking hospitality. And, you know, I'm just going to say this. I actually think you two are in some ways, I don't know if I'd say experts, but quite qualified to speak on this topic. Um, and Josh, I know you've had some experiences uh, internationally that way, and maybe you want to give us a teaser before we go to break and get into the the meat of our discussion. Tonight. Yes, have had some hospitable interactions internationally. However, to get us going for tonight, I want to keep it uh, super local with some experience I had working in the restaurant industry while in seminary. But we're going to go to break first, and when we return... Teaser, spoiler, alert, alert. As promised, I gave you not a teaser or a spoiler, but the promise of a teaser spoiler upon our return. (laughs) And so here it is. While at seminary, had a couple of unique experiences, uh, one very local to the St. Louis community and one very uh, external in terms of the international community, but both relating to hospitality. So on the one hand, uh, to help put myself through the seminary, I was working at our local brewery, and if you're in the St. Louis area or have ever visited the city, then you should be familiar with the Schlafly uh, Brewing Company, and I worked at the Schlafly Bottle Works. 
And while I was working there, the vast majority, if not every single other employee uh, at the Bottle Works was not a Christian, much less a seminarian. And very quickly, I realized that there was a significant disdain towards anyone related to the Christian faith, but specifically to Concordia Seminary, uh, Concordia professors, or district presidents who would be in town visiting. They didn't know them as district presidents, but I did because I could spot them a mile away. And here's what would usually happen. I'd be working a shift. It could be a slammed Friday night, and I could just see the sadness um, and, and just like utter iniquity on the faces of my coworkers as they saw seminarians walk in, collars blazing with their wives and babies in tow. And why, you ask? Not because they were going to be super generous, not because they were be, going to be very kind, not because they were going to be an easy table, but because they were huge pains in the self-censored. And literally, in the three years I worked at the Bonneworks, I, I would trade tables, um, albeit on a slow night or a, a, a packed night with my fellow coworkers and take fellow seminarians and, and people of the cloth because – when it would come time to fill out that little ticket where you can uh, sign your name and include a tip, it was the worst. And it was really embarrassing to me as uh, someone who was going through the seminary program, who was going to become a Christian uh, pastor, who would advocate for hospitality and generosity, to see the reputation that we had earned in the hospitality industry as being some of the worst customers and poorest tippers. Now, let me contrast that with an international experience I had uh, while at the seminary. Some friends of ours, we decided that we wanted to go over to Uganda. To, well, actually, we were trying to go to the Democratic Republic of Congo for a, a just a short-term trip. Didn't have enough money. Ended up in Uganda. Fortuitous on our end. Yet, while we were out there, uh, we were at this hospitality institute called the African Hospitality Institute, where uh, some students who either could not afford to uh, continue their education or suffered from either physical or mental um, uh, disabilities uh, had attended to learn how to cater to Western hospitality standards in order to get uh, solid jobs, honestly, in Kampala, Uganda, or over in Kenya. And while we were up there, some uh, some classmates of mine and I, we were going through this program, and, and on a Friday night, we were going to have a big community feast. And in order to cater to both the Christian and the Muslim populations, we were going to have a goat roast for the Muslim population that could not eat pork, and then a pig roast uh, simultaneously for the Christian population that is okay with eating pigs. And so we're sitting there, and, and part of my role there was I was trading them recipes that I had learned in the restaurant industry from Schlafly and other places, and they would teach me Ugandan recipes. And so we're, we're preparing this meat all day long. I'm building homemade smokers. We're doing all this stuff, and they, they look to me, and they say, hey, do you have any good recipes for our pig roast? And I say, you know what? I just moved to the south. There's just a great barbecue rub that I've learned filled with paprika, brown sugar, chili powder, garlic, onion, all the great stuff, right? So I, I slather this pig carcass with an amazing southern rub, and we cook it. And the whole night, all these Ugandans are like, oh, my gosh, this is the best pork we've ever had. This is amazing. Thank you so much for sharing. I mean being overly generous in their words and their thankfulness and their gratitude for what happened, right? Okay, fast forward to the next summer. Go back to Uganda. Walking through the middle of the Ugandan like bush, the outback, the jungle, this village – and some dude literally stops me on the side of the road, recognizes me, and says, hey, 
aren't you the dude who brought us the sweet pork? And I'm like, yeah, I was. And he was like, it was gross. (laughs) And I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? And he explained to me that Ugandans don't season any type of meat with any sort of sweet rub or seasoning at all. It's always either savory or very plain. And so what what I learned from this experience was that in Uganda, they took the the task of hospitality to such an extent that even while they were watching me break a, a sort of cultural barrier and to destroy a custom in Ugandan, at least culinary uh, practice, that they did not want to offend me as a guest, uh, but to be hospitable. They allowed me to essentially create a meal that they knew they would not like. And it was only <laughs> until a year later that I found out kind of happenstance that that I had offended gross. people and I had created a gross meal for them that evening. Nice. So there are two contexts, totally disparate, right? One super local in St. Louis, one totally international, one where um, you know, us as 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 future clergy and and particularly specifically Lutheran Christians earned a horrible reputation when it comes to um to engaging the hospitality industry. And then, you know, compare and contrast that to being internationally to the point where even the locals took the idea and the concept and the practice of hospitality to the extent that they ate something that they thought utterly disgusting. So I think what's interesting there, Josh, is is actually how you have you've sort of flipped an understanding of hospitality, right? So I, I think oftentimes um, we think of of hospitality solely in terms of what we would call the hospitality industry, in terms of those that are serving um, food or preparing it or whatever. And you've actually identified though that there's a way to be hospitable in how you receive that which is given to you and in how you receive those um in front of you right so it's like it's uh your ugandan friends were hospitable to you this foreigner coming in doing their stuff by receiving the the garbage pork that you cooked um and it was was really tasty Uh, i would say for the record i've eaten josh's cooking he's a wonderful wonderful cook thank you thank you yes yes um Offensive to the rest of the world, yeah. <laughs> in particular, but here in the states, passable. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, compared to the lack of hospitality from, uh, or at least the reputation of the lack of hospitality from those we went to school with and or studied under and or currently work under right now. Um, well, you know what's funny is when you bring that up, I, I hadn't thought about this before, right? But here in the states, there's it's sort of a mutual expectation or mutual understanding of hospitality. When, when you go to a, especially a food service industry, like a restaurant, right? Yeah. You're going to get service from a, a server. And then there's an expectation that you will tip. Mm-hmm. Right. In Uganda, I was totally ignorant. I, I hadn't experienced that level of foreign hospitality. I don't mean that because simply it's like foreign to the U S but just a, a, an uncategorized version of hospitality that was, totally different and other than me um, or anything I'd experienced before. Um, and so what's fascinating to me is like I went into it blind and made a bunch of huge mistakes, right? Like uh-huh. it was it was unintentionally offensive that I put a bunch of brown sugar on a pig carcass. But when I was working in the quote-unquote hospitality industry, food service industry, there was a knowledge – a prior previous knowledge that tipping – is sort of the norm 
and should be done, and yet was, I don't want to say completely forsaken, but neglected to the point where then it it, it almost functioned as inhospitable to the one providing the hospitality. Right. Does that make sense? Yes. Well, yeah. And so I think another wrinkle as I'm thinking through your two scenarios, and uh, and friends listening, trust me, we're pulling all this together, um, is, is your role in both of these in that – you know, if we're, we're thinking more about this idea of hospitality and uh, the care for others, and we'll get to a, a specific definition of it in a minute here, but um, you taking the shifts off of the other servers and saying like, yo, I'll take the hit. I'll, I'll go to the, the folks who aren't going to tip well. That was you being hospitable. And then conversely, you in Uganda with your your dang sweetness on your pork, making it gross without considering what their cultural preferences would be um it sounds harsh to say is inhospitable but but there's something to that right that like it wasn't desired it wasn't what they would desire and and so there's our role um in that as well and saying like um how do we best decipher how to care for and be hospitable towards other people i think the interesting thing is hospital hospitality quickly leads to relationship right and so you know when jo- when we hear the story of josh kind of doing the wrong thing culturally you know i i think i i think we've talked about this a number of times on our on our podcast about our trips to peru gabe you've been there as well and yeah. when you go there for the first couple times it's like whatever they put in front of you you know, you want to eat and you want to enjoy and you don't want to like change it at all. Right. Right. But as you grow the relationship. Yeah. You know, and they understand, oh, me putting sugar on the pork isn't like a sign of disrespect. It's that's just what their culture does. And OK, I'll give it a try too, kind of thing. Right. Right. That that as you build a relationship, you're able to break down some of those barriers uh, that might exist at the fir- at, at the onset. Where hospitality is the start, but it leads to relationship. Which, which that actually served. I, I mean, that that's what happened eventually. Like it opened up and engaged a set of conversations in the Ugandan bush that would not otherwise have happened. You know what I mean? Like it, it wasn't then all of a sudden here's this random white dude out in this village mudding a hut and creating a weird awkward relationship. But it was like in genuine humor. And I think that's something that's that's missing. I mean, that's a complete aside and tangent when it comes to just engagement cross-culturally. But for our purposes tonight, it actually did open up a door to a lot of really great conversations and learnings for me personally when it comes to what hospitality looks like, particularly in countries that tend to have a historic um, understanding and praxis of hospitality that in the East African, North African, Middle East, um, you know, kind of Far East when you're looking at like places like India or Pakistan or Afghanistan, something like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think there is something to Tom. I like that idea of, of hospitality as sort of the gateway to relationship, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, and, I mean, go back to my, go back to my intro of, you know, the hotel staff is just bending over backwards to make sure that my stay is, is wonderful. Right. They're doing that so that I come back, so yeah. that I have a relationship yeah. with the hotel, right? And so if I go to a, if I go to, well, yeah, but like if I go to a different, <laughs> if I go to a different city, I'm gonna pick the Westin because I had such a great experience in San Jose, 
And so I also think, you know, we're talking about the word hospitality here, but I think it's synonymous with, with customer service, right? Yeah, I think there's something to that. Yeah, for sure. By the way, we do want to thank the Weston San Jose for sponsoring this episode <laughs> of Pint Glass Preachers. Yeah. I received my little bag of sweet and savory chocolates and other <laughs> snacks in the mail today, and it was delightful. So thank you. But you didn't get the four-pack of Mountain Dew. I didn't because I didn't want my innards to be completely disintegrated like a lab mouse. <laughs> um, no, th- there is a lot to that. So, so maybe, and this maybe ties into your customer service comment, uh, Tom, is like, maybe I'm jumping the gun here, but, but here's how I define hospitality. Ready? Hospitality is benevolence or good done to those outside your circle of friends. Benevolence or good done to those outside your circle of friends. I, I actually really, I really like that. I would, I would like to ask though, does what the, or how does motivation play into that? Because yeah, in our, Josh, you just made, you just made the joke. Well, cause they're getting paid, right? When I go to a restaurant and they show me amazing hospitality, it's because they want my money. It's because they're being paid well, yeah, to be they, hospitable, yes, right? And they want to keep their job. Yeah. Right. Cause if they're not hospitable, they, they will not work in the hospitality industry. Right. Well, right. But so is, is the hospitality shown to me, even the best hospitality that's shown to me, the, the people, the good people, of the Western San Jose, is that different than me helping push a guy out of the ditch because it's snowing like crazy today? Because that is showing benevolence to someone outside of my yeah. outside of my friend group. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, because because it is a little it's it's unfair and less than charitable to say that anyone in the hospitality industry is only being hospitable because they're getting paid, right? No, that, like, that's true because I enjoyed and and I will say this. The reason I worked in restaurants for, and this before I was even at the seminary, the the reason I worked in restaurants for so long, I enjoyed practicing hospitality as a server or a line cook. Yeah, and I know, and and I know many people did as well. So no, it's, I mean, hospitality, the hospitality industry, is probably, uh, I'm going to make the supposition that it's a lot like a lot of other sectors that. There might be a bunch of people that try it and realize that they're not good at it or that they don't enjoy it. And so they get out. And yes, there are certainly people there that clearly don't like their job and they're not good at it, but they're still there and somehow still hanging on. But for the most part, I'm not going to go work at a restaurant as a server if I absolutely hate interacting with people. Exactly. Yeah, right. Yeah, go stock shelf. And it's nice that you can get paid for the thing that you're good at. Yeah. And so I do think like it's... and. And in many ways, I mean, to your point, like just about almost any other industry, there is a way in which you you have a heart for what you're doing. And yeah, you want to get paid, but you do just you care about this sort of activity. Like, um, I mean, I don't know, like I love preaching and I love public speaking. Um, but but that's but that I mean, that's different than the. 25 year old server at Applebee's that's you know I mean I but, I'm guessing their life passion isn't serving me you know parmesan fries and right endless <laughs> coke I mean it isn't it isn't though. I mean I think back to like like when I was an undergrad like I was uh like a youth minister at a, at a church that was 45 minutes south of of um the school I went to and 
like I did it because I loved and I care about the kids, but I wouldn't have done it if I didn't get paid. And, and like, that's not, I'm not saying it wasn't about the money. It was about the kids, but it was like, I literally need to pay my rent. This is taking up time. So either I do this or I go somewhere or I, you know, work at a bar or whatever, you know? So it was like, there's a well, way I, in which they bleed into each other. Yeah. Well, so I think you actually hit the the very epicenter, the nail on the head when it comes to hospitality. At least if we look at it biblically within the context of the not only ancient but modern Near East, right? Mm-hmm. That whether you like it or not, hospitality is a fact of life. It is a necessary cultural practice. And it is ingrained and embedded into the very behaviors of, mm. a, 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 you know, a, of your people. You know what I'm saying? Like, yep. and and I think we should throw out some examples, at least scripturally. But you know, just generically speaking, hospitality isn't a choice in many parts of the world. Like, whether it's yep. your enemy or your friend, you are forced to be hospitable by the cultural code or context. Um, you know, whether you you want to or not, you're going to kill the fattened calf. You're going to kill that goat you were saving for the party. Like, this is just going to happen simply because of context and because of of a, a cultural, you know, um, like a set of rules and mandates that you have. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's a really great example. One of, one of my favorite movies is Lone Survivor starring Mark Wahlberg. Love that guy. Do not like his burger restaurant. I'm going to just let you know that right now. They are not a sponsor of our pod. Mm, um, not wow. anymore. Wow. Yikes. Yeah. They were. They were. <laughs> well, they were, but now, yeah. So uh, in, in the story, Lone Survivor, you know, spoiler alert, there's only one left at the end, and he finds himself what? in a village, and uh, – and we're in Afghanistan, Pakistan area, and he is he is taken in by by a local village person, and he is morally obligated to take care of this person, even though the Taliban says we're going to come and shoot up this entire village. He's like, no, I've he came to me for help. I need to take care of him. I have that to is, do it. That is our code. Yeah, and a bunch of the villagers got shot up because of this guy's decision and not even decision, his moral obligation to do so. So I, so I think the question then for us and, and for the good listener is to say, then what does hospitality look like in your life, in our lives? Um, you know, like our, our culture, some wild cultural differences, right? Right. I mean, yeah. So, so, and to our shame, probably our culture is not great at hospitality that way. I mean, we've professionalized it to the whole point of this conversation up till now. Um, but indeed, I think the the three of us seek to practice it in our lives. And I think uh, those of you that that would call yourselves Christians, I, I would hope you seek to practice it in your life. And so what does that mean for us? What does that look like for you guys? How, how do you, how, do, how, do, how does one go about living a hospitable life? You know, I wonder if, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, actually, is the, connection between hospitality and generosity. I think we tend to separate the two, especially within the church. You know what I mean? Like generous would be like, oh, we're generous with our money or whatever. But I think you can be generous and or hospitable when it comes to your home, who you share your table with, how you, you you know what I'm saying? Absolutely. My mother-in-law is a a fantastic example of this is, 
you know, very early on, they decided that they were going to to be foster parents. And so, you know, this generosity of their time and 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 talents and even of their, their resources as well of saying, we're going to take in three or four kids at a time already having three kids of their own. Right. Yeah. And so they end up adopting the first two kids that they get and they realize they can't do permanent foster care. They have to do emergency foster care. And so they have like five, five of their own kids now, plus they're bringing in these emergency foster kids. And by the way, you know, my wife at any given time had like one or two cousins living with them in their home. Yeah. Right. For like yeah. extended periods of time, because for whatever family reasons. Right. Yeah. And my mother-in-law is forever running around signing up to like host a a baby shower for a family she barely knows, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, she is so generous with her time and her and, and everything that she has to the point where I'm like, why are you doing this? So then, let, let, let me ask a question on that. Cause like, I think that's incredibly admirable. And, um, and at the same time, that of course I think we'd recognize is unique to her and a skill set she has and a capacity that she has yeah. that not necessarily everyone does. And so, what's the relationship between hospitality and healthy boundaries? Wait, wait, but let me stop you for a second. Okay, you, please. <clears throat> and the only reason I'm doing that is you made the distinction between a skill set that she has, right? Yeah. If we look biblically or culturally within the ancient Near East, where most of, I mean, all of the Bible was was seated in, I don't America, think that the United States of America. Oh shoot! I've had it wrong this entire yeah. time. Oh, <laughs> unbelievable! You don't remember that uh, after he defeated the Nazis, Jesus wrote the Declaration of Independence? I'm so sorry. You know <laughs> what? Book, why? Josh. Why? Read seriously. If you haven't read a book, go back and listen to our last episode, <laughs> read a book entitled "Read a Book." Yes. You know, no, but I, I think this begs the question, right? So, so either intentionally or subconsciously, you made the jump to her skill set when it comes to hospitality, right? Mm -hmm. But biblically speaking, we don't see that as a skill set. It's it's sort of a a mandate on anyone's life. Yeah, but my point would be there's a way in which you practice it that does require a skill set. Like there are people that should not foster children. Fact. Oh, oh okay, okay. I, I see what you're saying. And, yep. and there are people that should not throw baby showers. Pointing at myself. Fact. Hey, BT dubs. Do you guys know there's actually something called a baby sprinkle these days? Gross. Not a full blown shower, just a sprinkle. Just a little tinkle. Just not. <laughs> oh gosh. Okay, Tom. Whatever you're gonna say, say it. No, no. We're gonna move on very quickly. So, I you I think you also made the point too, Gabe, of at what personal cost? Yeah. Because in the extreme example of you know lone survivor, this. At at risk to his own family and risk to fellow villagers, of which some lost their lives because of the decision that he made to be hospitable. Yep. You know, people lost their lives. I think Karen would actually admit, too, that to a, a small detriment to her family, the time that she spent with other people's children has at times caused strife and costly yeah right and so, so so can we look biblically and say has there been are there situations where there should have been lines drawn or perhaps there wasn't they, they the line was drawn too quickly sure 
bring us there, Josh, if you want to. Well, I mean, I just wonder, like, so you've got, so you've got a couple of really stark differences, right? You have situations where the outcome of hospitality was something atrocious. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, um, Gable was his concubine, Levi and the concubine, right? Where the outcome of the hospitality was, was actual violence and trauma. So for the good listener who does not know these obscure references in the old Testament, could we please elaborate? Gabe, you give the rundown, and then oh, I'm going to go back to my favorite Bible story of all time. Okay, well, both Sodom and Gomorrah and the Levite and his concubine, uh, they, there's a, a character in the story who um, invites a godly-ish person into their house, and then some people in the village show up and say, hey, send your guests out here so that we can rape them. And... Uh, and so thanks for having me tell this uh, at any rate. Uh, and, you're, uh, welcome. you're so welcome. And both times the hosts say like, no, you can't have my guest, but here have like my daughter, uh, which is, is super messed up and not uh, endorsed by scripture. But the idea is that hospitality ran so deep for these people that they're like, you can harm my own family before you can harm this guest in my home. Which is, in, which is just in, absolute contrast to having people over for dinner and you're looking at your watch like i wonder when they'll leave because i would really like to sit down and binge watch some netflix you know right okay. that's clearly, exactly right clearly yes yet at the same time on the flip side um scripture is pretty clear for example in my favorite hospitality story of all time the, when abraham and sarai not quite sarah yet were uh camped out at the oaks of mamory a potential name for the church known as <laughs> no now as bird city community where they saw three visitors approaching and prepared a fantastic feast and offered like literally laid out the red carpet of hospitality to them. And they entertained angels unaware as Genesis records entertaining angels by the light and by the dream of heaven. You know what? This hardcore band practice has just got you on a, on a singing rampage that's unacceptable. No, no, no. But I would, I would be willing to bet that sixty to seventy percent of our episodes features one of you two singing poorly. Am, am I right, good listeners? Please text us six one two two zero eight six two five eight. No, but I mean, really, when we when we consider these things, you've got mandatory hospitality. You have obligatory hospitality. You have like optional hospitality. And then you have just kind of like, eh, I feel like being hospitable. And so where, where do we land? Like what, what do we see as the most faithful option? Because yes, like we don't need to live legalistically looking at, I mean, we're in Western, a, a very Western European derived American context. Yep. Like middle Eastern and ancient near Eastern, even far Eastern hospitality is not a mandate upon our cultural context. Right. I think we can agree on that. However, how do we express generosity? How do we express biblical hospitality in a faithful way that not only loves our neighbor, but provides opportunities to be loving, um, to be generous, to be, um, I mean, I don't know, like expressionable of, of kind of this relationship we have with God as an extension of our interactions with our neighbors. So do we start with the Ten Commandments? I mean, you have the first three that deal with our relationship with God, and the rest of the commandments are for the relationship with our neighbor. And then God simplify or Jesus simplifies that in the New Testament with like, hey, guys, just love your neighbor. And that's pretty vague. But do we 
just you know we'll know what it is when we when we do it so i think both josh and tom good questions and i think we should give actually pretty specific answers to that but what i want to do is actually go to break and we'll answer that question kind of what that looks like for each of us in our own families because you know that's a question i like melissa and i think of ourselves as hospitable people but we're also we've we've had some conversations and discussions recently where we're like what does that mean though for the sake of the balance of life in our family and how we do that well while um loving our kids and being faithful to our role as parents as well and those sorts of things so why don't we why don't we go to break we'll come back and answer that question what does it look like for us to be hospitable now um and then we'll tease the next episode because we're we're kind of hitting the tip of the iceberg here. We're going to bring in some hospitality experts for our next couple episodes. And, and we're not uh, just talking about like the maitre d' at a restaurant. We're talking like people who have significant experience here. Yeah. Right? Is that an appropriate term these days, maitre d'? Why would it be inappropriate? I, I mean, in the same way we've discarded waitress and waiter and gone to generic server. Or I guess I didn't even realize that Maitre D was uh was gender specific. Uh yeah, it's female. Wow. Wow. Let's Pretty go to break. Words here on Pine Glass Preacher. Oh, right, before we go to break, though, this is like a legitimate time when we are actually gonna go to break and come back and have a legitimate discussion. We're not like just saying, hey, we're gonna have a legitimate discussion and then just not do anything. There's this lots more real preachers out there. <laughs> real talk on Pine Glass Preachers. Welcome back from break, and uh, we're going to start with my vindication because uh, apparently a maitre d' is simply the manager of the hotel, and it is genderless. So I once thought I was being gender neutral, and then I wasn't, and now I'm back to being okay. So big win for me. We're all very proud of you, Tom. Yep. Let's move on. All right. So <laughs> was that a sarcastic slow clap? Totally. Yes. So uh, I'll put the spotlight on you guys. Uh, what does hospitality look like in your life? Benevolence or good done to those outside your circle of friends? I mean, I guess I'll start. And this is probably oversimplistic as I'm, I don't know, just now thinking about it, even though we've been talking about it for a while here. But I mean, I think it's it's not only people outside, it's it's people inside your your orbit, your friendship circle, your family as well. I mean, it's it's at all I, I brought it up earlier. It's you know, Jesus calling us to to be good to your neighbor, love thy neighbor. And so that includes everybody. And so whether it's helping the guy out of the snow pile tomorrow, if it's you know, taking care of my friends when they come here for dinner or you know, being a good steward of the resources and the people that, that come into our lives. It's all of that. And we suck at it sometimes. I mean, Gabe, I think you, you kind of talked about that a little bit in, in going into break. Yep. Although I will say, I just, 
I just had dinner at the O'Neill house not two, three weeks ago. Did you guys eat pickle dip for dinner? Uh, we did not, but we ate a delicious ham and a salad and some mashed potatoes. And it was, it was a glorious feast. Who cooked? Yes, Tom, so or I, I, I mean, Tom, okay. Tom or Jen? Tom or Jen? Tom or Jen? That's not, no, even, that's not even a question. Yeah. Of course well, it's I don't Jen. know. I'm just asking. Hey, it's it's 2019, all right? So, okay. So I gave a very vague, like, politically correct vanilla response to this. But this is a perfect example. Gabe, you were coming over for dinner. The O'Neill household does not do ham, mashed potatoes, salad, corn, and the best silverware every single night no nope. right corn, corn dogs and frozen corn yeah that sounds great you know like i'm great corn dogs man <laughs> no at disneyland not like out of the freezer at oh, your house get them out of the freezer pop them in that oven oh get out of here you hey, know what no put them in a microwave for listen, all I listen i will say this when i was visiting ann arbor gabe did actually take me ironically to a middle eastern restaurant and we ordered delicious takeout what was the name of that place Haifa falafel. Dude, Haifa falafel, they're like shawarma slash falafel slash pilau spread was delightful. We promised our listeners that we would actually have content. Okay, Uh, so so here's my – No, no, no. Go ahead, Tom. So so in that instance, we rolled out the red carpet for you, Gabe, right? Mm Mm-hmm. I tell everybody that I know, hey, anytime you're here, you're more than welcome to stay. Gabe, you had a hotel room here, but you know what? We were up until 2 a.m. talking. Stay. And my roommate snored. Yeah, yep. stay the night, man. Mm-hmm. And so, but at the same time, if someone said, "Hey, we need you to entertain this guest that you don't know," you know, for work or for whatever, we'd probably do the same thing. You yeah. know. Yeah. Well, and I actually I think it's a perfect segue to where I'm at when it comes to the the question of hospitality is embracing inconvenience. Ooh, in the, se- in the sense, more. no, I mean, I'm just saying in the sense that like inviting friends over for dinner, like, isn't really inconvenient because you're, I mean, yes, you got to go shopping. Yeah. You got to make sure you got the menu, right? Whatever. But you're inviting friends over, you know what I mean? That's um, yeah. You're, you're expecting some kind of positive outcome. And I would say that for me coming to really embody and embrace the inconvenient aspect of biblical hospitality is key in the sense that like it, it might suck that you're going to be, you know, someone's going to spring up on you and you're going to be unprepared, but you got to do it anyway, simply out of love. For me, that's the, or, or I should say, those are the opportunities where I can say most genuinely, all right, I think I'm being hospitable. Well, I think those are also the opportunities where we can most shine as Christians, where it's inconvenient for us. It's maybe not what we want to do. It's, um, you know, taking the time to get to know somebody that when we really don't have the time or something like that. Uh, But I do go back to it is a struggle, Gabe, when you brought up, I mean, when you have kids, when you are running from one thing to another and just trying to survive for you. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and then how do you, how do you take that time out? Yeah. I mean, we were just at a, we were just at a friend's house for Super Bowl, and we realized we hadn't hung out in five months. Yeah. And these are people that we could, would consider good friends. They live in the same town. They live seven minutes from us. Yeah. You know, and both of us are, you know, we had great excuses. Yep. This, 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 all kids, right? 
Well, that's with our friends, let alone other people. And that's where I think, I don't know, at least for my family, that, that those are the sort of conversations Melissa and I are having where we're saying like, I mean, when her and I were first married, first getting started in ministry, like we had people over all the time. Like you had these met people you. living literally on the other side of the wall of you, just like always wanting to do dinner. And... <laughs> that was Tom and Jen. We shared a duplex. At any rate. Um, and, Wait, did and, you guys really? Yeah. Unbelievable. It was awesome. I see what's happening here with this episode. Yep. You're uh, just trying to solidify your friendship. Above. Dude, we solidified our friendship like <laughs> years ago. <laughs> okay, whatever. Relax. But, uh, you know, as we keep adding children for goodness sake um not anymore we're, we're, uh we uh you know it's like what is uh what, is, what does this look like for us now and and um because we don't as much because to tom's point it's like we're running from one thing to another or i'm you know working 60 70 hours a week or or whatever it is and so it's saying like how do we slow ourselves down how do we put our schedule and our lives at a pace where we can actually fulfill because to Josh's point, kind of consistently through this episode, yeah, there's certain ways of doing hospitality that may require a skill set. But every person uh, who would call himself a Christian, and if you're not, we encourage you to practice this too, uh, is meant to practice hospitality, is meant to extend that goodness of benevolence to those outside their circle of friends. And, well, and so when this we run at, let me finish. When we run at rates that are so fast and so quick and one thing to another, it's really hard to do that, if not impossible. So, so this is kind of the interesting thing that I'm coming to is, is under your definition of, of hospitality, which I said I agree with. But, but as we're talking about this, we're talking about it almost to the exclusion of, of our own family. We, we have to do hospitality to our family as well. Well, and that's where though, Tom, I would say I wouldn't I wouldn't define it with that word then. So to me, that's when it ceases to be hospitality. It's still a good thing. It's just not technically hospitality. Yeah, okay. just, so hospitality is reserved for other people. That would be the thing. Right. Okay. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't make it a bad thing. It just makes it a different thing. Sure. So at any rate, friends, we want to dig deeper into this. And so as we mentioned, we're gonna bring some experts in. Uh we're we're pretty excited. We're gonna have uh our, our good friend, a listener to the pod, Chip May. He doesn't know this yet. I'm going to text him tomorrow morning, but uh, but we're going to have him join. And then I will pastor him by text for the next several days until he agrees. Please do. Please do. Uh, he is, as far as I think any of us are concerned, we all know him well. Um, a hospitality expert uh, does that for his his livelihood, but also just has a heart to uh, to welcome people, to welcome the stranger. And so... We're uh, looking forward to that conversation with him. That'll be coming up uh, in the next episode. You know, and I'm going to ask ask this to Chip. I think this is going to be the first question I have to him, and I think it's really important for this conversation, is for somebody who is as caustically sarcastic as Chip is, how he survives in a hospitality-driven business. Mm. Caustically? That's a big word. That was a really big word, Tom. It I was. Will, I will yeah. look that up after we finish recording. Real yep. book. But for the rest of you, you can just Google that, use the dictionary app on your iMac, or if you run Windows, somehow pick up a book and try to flip through and find the C section. And <laughs> it sounded really weird. Uh, my bad. That was inhospitable. So I think we should probably just finish. 
Yeah. On that brilliant note, friends, thank you for listening to the pod. Um, we appreciate all your support. We appreciate your messages on on Facebook, um, on Twitter, Instagram. Six year or two, two so. invitations to come and and host this thing at your place. I mean, it would be really fun. Listen, I, hey, I I will I will try to bankroll this thing if we can get fifteen sites across the states. We'll take a road trip. Oh my God, fifteen sites. That's, that's not gonna happen. How much? How much vacation do you have, dude? I, not not a whole lot. I don't know. I've never taken one. But uh, 612-208-6258. This is the Pine Class Preachers. We love you all. Take care. Peace and blessings. We're out. <laughs>